The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, He showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands. And bring your hand, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great pleasure to welcome the young ladies and gentlemen of Wake Forest Presbyterian Church who are with us this morning in our center section. I said it's a great joy to have you with us. You know, history is really a matter of faith. It's not something we can prove. We might think we can, but we really can't. I cannot prove to you that Abraham Lincoln or George Washington ever existed. You might say, well, there are tombs and there are bones. Whose tombs? Whose bones? I take it on faith that they existed, and that those tombs are their tombs and their bones. 
The same thing with Napoleon, or Joan of Arc, or Catherine of Siena, or Julius Caesar, for that matter. We believe because people who are credible have told us that they existed, that they once walked the earth and that they did things for better or for worse. That's a simple faith, isn't it? We can't imagine anybody denying their existence. And so today's gospel is about faith, the ultimate faith. They are all dead. In one way or another, somewhere they are alive, but they are dead to us. Our faith is not in someone who is simply dead. Today's gospel begins with an appearance of the Lord. On the first day of the week, this is before Pentecost, he appears simply to the disciples. They're always called disciples in St. John's Gospel. Because remember, an apostle is one who goes out. A disciple is one who sits at the feet of the master and listens. And so he appears to them. And they recognize him by his wounds. That's how he shows himself to them, by his wounds. And he says, peace be with you. I don't know how you and I would react to this. We're so accustomed to hearing of the resurrection and reading about it and seeing even movies. Can you imagine, though, what that would have been like? That this person whom you loved and believed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, has been arrested, mutilated, crucified. Uh, He's dead. A spear has been thrust through his heart. He's been buried. He now appears to you all of a sudden, not simply having been brought back to life, but glorified in a new state of existence. How would we have reacted to that? Probably the way they did. Confusion, fear. We might doubt our senses, doubt our sanity, and then joy. But he's come to give them something. At the Last Supper, he told them to do what he did. He gave them his body and blood and said, do this. It's a command. And so today he appears to them and says, peace be with you. Receive the Holy Spirit after he breathes on them, the breath being the imparting of the Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Whose sins you retain are retained. Once again, he gives them the power to do something that he did. When they act, he acts. So we have the forgiveness of sins. Um, But notice, again, the power of the Holy Spirit. Here at Mass, before the consecration, we call down the Holy Spirit to transform these bread and wine into the body and blood of the Lord. And the same thing with the sacrament of reconciliation and absolution. God, the Father of mercies, through the death and resurrection of his Son, has sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. And so that is given to them. But then we come to Thomas, one of the most fascinating figures in the gospel. Thomas, one of the twelve. That expression is used periodically to emphasize intimacy. It's used in the case of Judas, imagine, no less than seven times, to emphasize the intimacy that should have been there. It's always Judas, one of the twelve. And now it's Thomas, one of the twelve. Notice, again, the intimacy was not there. Thomas is a strange character. He's sort of a cynic. In some ways, he represents all of us. Thomas uh, didn't believe easily. 
Remember when our Lord was going to go back to Jerusalem, Thomas said, oh, let's go along and die with him. That was Thomas. Things were always bad and getting worse. And now it's really happened. He had actually put his faith in this man, perhaps for the first time in his entire life, and he's gone. He's dead and buried. So, so Thomas goes off by himself. He's not there with the rest of them. He wants to grieve alone. And so when the Lord comes, he isn't there. He, so to speak, leaves the church. And when he returns and the others speak to him, he won't believe it. Thomas is a materialist, it would seem. In that way, he represents our world. He will only believe what he can perceive with his senses. Which is why he says, they say we have seen the Lord. Notice his response. Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and my hand into his side, I will not believe. He wants tangible proof. He won't believe the other disciples, the apostles, when they tell him. As I say, he's somewhat of a cynic. And with the Last Supper, too, he was the one who said, uh, we do not know the way. Show us the way. And so, a week later, he is with them again. And our Lord appears. Our Lord does not ignore Thomas. He doesn't pretend as though it never happened, as though, as though Thomas had never doubted him. We like to think our Lord is sort of just kind of ignores our faults. If he did, he wouldn't be able to be merciful. Thank heavens he pays attention to our faults. And he immediately confronts Thomas at once. That's the first thing he does. He says, peace be with you, and then to Thomas. You want proof? Come. Put your finger here and see my hands. Bring your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. We will see, too, this is a Eucharistic gospel. Uh, we are confronted with the reality of his presence among us, too, in his risen body and blood. Now, to Thomas's credit, if he was disbelieving before, once the proof was there, he immediately accepted it and embraced it. My Lord and my God. Our Lord then speaks to him again. You have come to believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. So he's speaking to us, the whole church. He's speaking again about the Eucharist. We see and we believe. Only through the eyes of faith do we see and believe in his risen body and blood. So we then accept this and we embrace it. But you know, there are people who will say, why? Why do you believe? You know, Pope Benedict had, I think, one of the most beautiful reflections on faith that I have ever read, and particularly about this gospel. I don't think I remember all of it, but what he said was, it's a gospel of, it's a reflection on St. Thomas, why indeed did you not forcefully resist your enemies who brought you to the cross? We might well ask. Why did you not show them with incontrovertible power that you are the living one, the Lord of life and death? Why did you reveal yourself 
only to a small flock of disciples upon whose testimony we must now rely. The question applies not only to the resurrection, but to the whole manner of God's revelation in the world. Why only to Abraham and not to the mighty of the, of, of the world? Why only to Israel and not irrefutably to all the peoples of the earth? It is part of the mystery of God that he reveals himself so gently that he only gradually builds up his history within the great history of mankind. That he becomes a man and so can be overlooked by his contemporaries and by the decisive forces within history. That he suffers and dies and that having risen again he chooses to come to mankind only through the faith of the disciples to whom he reveals himself. That he continues to knock gently at the doors of our hearts and slowly opens our eyes if we open our doors to him. And yet, is this not the divine way? Not to overwhelm with external power, but to give freedom, to offer an illicit love. And if we really think about it, is it what, not, what seems so small that is truly great? Does not a ray of light issue from Jesus, growing brighter across the centuries, which could not come from any mere man, and through which the light of God shines into the world. Could the apostolic preaching have found faith and built up a worldwide community unless the power of truth was at work within it? If we attend to the witnesses with listening hearts and open ourselves to the signs by which the Lord again and again authenticates both them and himself, then we know that he is truly risen. He is alive. Let us entrust ourselves to him. For we know that we are on the right path. It's a beautiful reflection, don't you think, about faith. Well, you and I have come here once again to experience what they did. But we will not simply put our hands and fingers into his wounds. Within your wounds hide me. That has special meaning, doesn't it, today? Within your wounds hide me. But he will come to us and say, not just put your hand into my side. Touch me. Receive me. Consume me. Become me. There was one last reflection on Pope Benedict when he said, with Thomas, let us place our hands into Jesus' pierced side and confess, my Lord and my God.